Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about the challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. Before we get into the podcast, a word from our sponsors of this episode. Chargebee is a leading subscription billing platform that powers some of the best SaaS startups, such as Hopkins, Bendesk, Livestorm, and Team Leader. The platform is powerful for startups to navigate complex tax compliance, invoicing, and billing regulations. You can also experiment with different pricing models and localize pricing and checkout experience. Check them out at chargebee.com. E-Residency is a digital gateway to the Estonian startup scene for foreign founders and entrepreneurs. The birthplace of Skype, Wise, and Bolt, Estonia has many advantages for early-state startups for doing business remotely. 90,000 e-residents have already joined. Read more about what they offer on their website at eresident.gov.ee. And now, let's get into today's episode. So far this year, Irish startups have raised 1 billion from VC funds. This is just shy of the 1.2 billion euros raised in 2020, making the country one of the top startup hubs in Europe. My guest today is Patrick Walsh, the founder of Dogpatch Labs, one of Ireland's leading startup hubs and Crunchbase's top 10 incubators in the world. Having left the safety of corporate life to pursue his dreams of developing a hub for indigenous Irish entrepreneurs post-2008, Patrick has grown Dogpatch Labs into a catalyst for innovation and an increasingly influential player on the European startup stage. Patrick is also the youngest member of Ireland's National Competitiveness Council and is a strong advocate for reform to Europe's talent and incentivization policies. I'm delighted to have Patrick on my show today. Welcome, Patrick. It's great to be here, Anita. I thought, Patrick, we can start with Ireland as a whole. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about the Irish startup scene, some numbers about the state of the Irish startup ecosystem. Yeah, when I started Dogpatch here in the CHQ seven years ago to where it is now are two completely different ecosystems, that's for sure. Ireland has about seven unicorns, so not the highest rate of unicorns per capita, but that rate has been increasing pretty rapidly. I think what's interesting as well that the Irish ecosystem used to be pretty condensed into the capital, but now we've seen much more decentralization right across the country as well, seeing some really interesting and ambitious companies pulling talent out of all the big Googles and Facebooks, et cetera, where the European capital for many of the big tech companies, and we're starting to see 15 years after Google arrived in Ireland, the sort of second order effects of how that's starting to benefit the ecosystem in terms of scaling up some of these unicorns and sunicorns and startups that we're starting to see. I think we had a long road to get here. There was many sort of decades of foundational work that the government was doing. And now we're starting to see a more entrepreneurially led ecosystem that's government backed. And that's starting to accelerate in really interesting ways, especially over the last three years, I think. I saw that Wayflyer was the recent 1 billion Irish unicorn, the sixth. And then we had Flipdish, of course, in 2022. So that's really exciting. Are there any specific areas that seem to appeal to entrepreneurs in Ireland? I think it's pretty broad. We're a small ecosystem, so it's hard to get two specialists in any one arena. So I would say it's coming from all different angles. Intercom, which is our first unicorn, was around business communication. And some of the more recent ones, Transformate, for example, is a fintech solution. And I think you've got to get everything else in between as well. So we're a small country and it's pretty generalist in terms of where these ideas are coming from and the kind of startups that are emerging. I know that Ireland has always been very pro-business. It's always made 
itself very attractive to companies that want to set up there. Could you give me a little background for people listening on what grants or tax incentives or other supports an entrepreneur can hope to get? I think Arlen was always, or at least let's say from the 80s, we set out to be the number one FDI nation pulling international companies into Ireland. And we set out the pretty much the best policies in Europe and maybe some in the world in terms of our corporation tax. And we combined that with our low cost of living at the time and only English speaking nation, the EU, et cetera. And that meant that we pulled in all of these big tech companies. It's only more recently, and I still think there's some ways to go, to be honest, in terms of being the most kind of number one friendliest nation with respect to startup policies. And it's one of the reasons in Dogpatch, we actually set up and spun out a policy unit called Scale Ireland, just to try and address this kind of challenge, which is we should have better startup policies in Ireland. And I think you are going to start to see some changes in terms of share options and things like that in this budgetary cycle. But at the same time, you do have some pretty active participation from the government. For example, if you raise 250 grand in Ireland as a startup, Enterprise Ireland will in many cases, match that automatically once you go through some of their processes. So that can be really attractive if you're raising a sort of a pre-seed round or even seed round, et cetera, that you have those kind of supports that's there. We run, Dogpatch runs the National Accelerator for Ireland in partnership with the regional hubs around the country. The other thing that government is doing is working with hubs to deliver a lot of these supports. So I think at a fiscal level, there's some policy improvements to happen. But broadly speaking, I know that a lot of other European or even global nations are like, wow, actually, you've got some pretty good supports at a government level as well. It sounds to me like the government is really trying to move in the right direction in terms of support with Enterprise Ireland and funding and matching. What do you feel is holding Ireland back? I don't think the penny has fully dropped in terms of the the creating a balanced economy. We have way too much dependency on foreign companies versus indigenous companies. We have great policies if you're Google, but not if you're a startup. So I think that shift still needs to happen properly. When I think about some of the other countries, Estonia, Portugal, and we might touch on some of those later, France even, and what they've done in the last five years by comparison to us, they're playing to win. Mm -hmm. And so we have definitely more work to do as a country. I think there's some big, obvious things that need to happen. Talent is the biggest one, right? So we need to transform our share option scheme in Ireland in the same way that the French have done in recent years under Macron's leadership. That is the number one thing that we are pushing for this year. But also when I think about investor relief for angel investors, it's much more superior in the UK. Capital gains tax is much more superior in the UK than it is for us as well. So I would personally to see a complete transformation in our fiscal policymaking that reflects the economic vision that Ireland needs to have. We had this kind of harmonization around corporation tax. We had the lowest corporation tax in the OECD with 12.5%. Right. And that changed last year. So now it's been harmonized. It's all the same. So we don't have some of these same advantages. And we really need to get serious about policies because the other thing that Ireland doesn't have, what you used to have in the 80s and 90s, was we used to be a really cheap place to live. That doesn't Mm. exist anymore. So we've got to compete in different ways now to be a successful European nation with respect to creating an innovation economy. There's so much to unpack in what you said, but let's start with talent. We talked about talent and the need for harmonization of shares and options. Tell me a little bit about what exactly the problem and maybe some best practices on how that can be solved 
from the different models you have observed? Yeah, I think as a broader statement for Europe, it really needs to start thinking about the fact that the startup ecosystem definitely arrived in a big way last year. I think the Atomico report captured this. And I think it caught the attention of many policymakers. It was clearly at an inflection point, this sort of 100 billion going into startups across Europe for the first time ever. That was 10 times the volume that it was in 2015, three times where it was just the year before. So it was a record-breaking year. We've th- over 300 unicorns in Europe right now, and 100 of them were created last year alone. Unbelievable. Right? Unbelievable. Yeah. And also, you're starting to see really ambitious kind of mega rounds of 100 million plus, whereas previously, the tale of many European startups was that they'd sell out to American companies early, etc. So it's taken many decades of groundwork to reach this point of inflection. And so now what we need to really think about is what are the challenges from here? So if you asked a European or Irish startup, what are the challenges five years ago? They would say funding. Funding's the problem. There's not enough American capital. There's not enough European venture capital houses. Even if they are, they're not ambitious enough. That clearly isn't the case now with that amount of capital going in. We have a much more connected European and venture capital ecosystem. Now the new challenge is around the regulations, the policies, and particularly around talent, because that's 100 billion euros of capital trying to convince talents from multinationals, from corporates to join the startup community. Yeah, an incredible acceleration. You have that many unicorns. They need to grow exponentially. Where are they going to get the talent to scale? Where are they going to get the talents? How does the, you know, how can we make that even more attractive in terms of policies? I know this is a big challenge in France, for example. They've got all these 25 unicorns, but they need to reach across Europe and America to try and pull people in. So what's starting to happen at an EU level is we have this European Startup Nation standards that was introduced last year, which is these eight principles around talent, around digital first. And that was a kind of a good sort of broad framework to, to start to build upon. I think we're starting to see other examples around regulation and standardization of regulation. So we were the first economic area in the world to normalize certain policies around crypto, for example. And later this week, actually, we should see this EU plan for startups. And one of those four pillars in that is resourcing the war for talent. That's what Mm. they say, right? So it's a real focus on how do we increase that talent pool, the skill sets, what are some of the policies around? The other things that we see in there are joining up the dots, reducing regulatory burden, et cetera. So I think what we're starting to see is the venture capital dollars have flown in. The policymakers have gone, oh, this is actually a really important part of our sort of EU future, our economic future. And we're starting to see some policies move, but there is a lot of work to recognize that it's not corporation tax or things that build innovation economies, it's talent. And how do you play that talent game better than anyone else? And what's happening really is you've harmonization around certain parts of that tax code. And then you've certain countries are doing a really great job around policy for talents, right? Tell me a little bit about what are these really good examples of countries doing when it comes to attracting, retaining talent for startups. Portugal is a standout example. And they were in a really difficult position, especially in the 2008 financial crisis. And they already have a great lifestyle, great climate, relatively low cost of living. So they actually have a lot of the great environment or things you need for talent to want to move to it and be in a city, right? Great social scene, beaches, (laughs) things that Ireland does not have, for example. But they also created this NHR program, right? It's a sort of non-habitual resident program 
0% on foreign income, 0% on crypto, 0% on tax dividends. If you're a freelancer, it's a flat rate of 20%, 0% wealth tax. So they created all these policies that are focused on getting talent to move into that country to start a company or join a startup, which I think are really compelling. They fast-tracked EU passporting. So after five years, it's much more yep. certain that you get that kind of EU passport. Of course, every EU country can do that. But in Ireland, it's, it's not as certain, right? They have this digital nomad visa. They created this whole Portugal tech thing. So that's a, a kind of an interesting example. I think Estonia is another kind of an interesting example. They feel like they've designed everything with this in mind. They're probably one of the smallest countries in the EU. And yet they're the leader in startup creation. They're the leader in investments per capita, all per capita numbers. They're the leader in unicorns per capita. Fintech. Really good in fintech, yeah. Yeah, they five times the more startups per capita than the European average, which is amazing. Yeah. Their population is only 1.3 million, which is about the size of Dublin. They have 10 unicorns. Ireland as a whole has seven, right? And if you include the Northern Ireland, which is 7 million people, if, if Estonia was the island of Ireland, we would have 50 unicorns, mm. not seven. You yeah. know, so it's just ast ast astonishing. And so they've done a lot of different things. Going back to the talent thing again, they had this Estonian startup visa, which is probably the best example of a startup visa. They launched it five years ago. 3,000 startups have applied to relocate into Estonia under this visa because they just make it so seamless. Wow. And then the other thing they did is they created this whole digital infrastructure. I think that one of the first sort of digital first governments where 99% of government services is accessible online. You can establish a startup in Estonia, in 15 minutes flat, you can do all your tax filings really easily. You do incredible guaranteed broadband connectivity. You, everything's digital signatures. So they created yep. this whole foundation, if you like, at a governmental level. And then they created these great policies on top of it. And that has just created this unique sort of ecosystem, which is the highest performing ecosystem per capita by far. And it just goes to show that this is not a biggest... Uh, ecosystem wins game either, right? Small yep. countries can do exceptionally well when they focus around creating a great environment for innovation. You put the right incentives in place and that's going to drive the right behavior. And obviously Estonia, Portugal, they've really prioritized startup and startup culture. And to your point also, France has been an incredible example of a larger, much bigger country with so many more forces at play here when it comes to giving incentives. And they have been really successful in producing a really strong startup ecosystem. What have you learned from the French example? Yeah, France is really interesting because Estonia is the small country, Portugal may be the middle one, but France is one of the big ones. And maybe in many ways, and I've, I've talked to a lot of French friends about this, maybe in many ways the most unlikely candidate because they had so much burden and so many cultural exactly. issues. And, and they just totally transformed. If there was a, an award for most improved ecosystem over the last five years, uh, it'd probably be France. And that all started, I think, back in 2017 when Macron got elected and stood up and he vowed to make France this startup nation. His focus was to create this innovation economy. He had this very specific goal with a specific timeline of 25 French unicorns by 2025, which, of course, he achieved three years ahead of schedule. 
Yeah. Cut the ribbon one month in on Station F, the largest startup hub in the world. He goes about overhauling policy. He focused on the best visa, especially for non-EU visas as well. Yeah. Getting talent from outside the EU totally transformed that, recognizing that we need to be able to pull people from all across the world and we can't wait for anyone else to do that. He completely overhauls share options as well. And so he removes certain restrictions. There's sort of irrespective of ownership or founder, or whether you're employee, there's a lot of specifics in that. And then of course, he went off and courted all the American venture capital firms and posted them and he and I think he started quadrupling really doing a lot of PR work around this vision that he has it's not just creating incentives but he really marketed France as the destination for startups to come to he did every time a unicorn was created he would go out with a LinkedIn that's how they kept tally as an ecosystem was so interesting if you followed that because it felt like he would announce it on LinkedIn and then everyone would rally around on Twitter and LinkedIn like it was a national sport. So that's a story of great leadership followed by great policy. And everything was designed with reference to will this help us create more unicorns? Mm-hmm. Thinking big and really courting that. And I think that's an incredible example of how France, you wouldn't have described France as an innovation or maybe a startup Absolutely not. five yeah. years ago, but certainly they are a, a significant player and an example to many other nations now of what's possible when, that, when those pieces are in place. Yeah, that's a really phenomenal example of the French ecosystem. I hope that yeah. he can continue to make improvements, but I have my doubts on this term and going in what he can do. But well, That's for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was chatting to French colleagues of mine, and I think what was interesting was when what he started to move away from a startup nation to an innovation nation because it felt a bit more inclusive. Yeah. Of, now, of course, we know that startups are at the center of any innovation economy. Yeah. So everyone can feel part of an innovation economy, but not everyone can feel part of a startup economy. Yes. So it's just an interesting to see him shift. Yeah his own narrative and language as he seeks to sustain that buy-in at a national level of the direction he wants to take the country. Yeah, because the truth is, even though he's had incredible success in this startup, 80% of the GDP still comes from the other stuff. And so if you're not including a vision and working on that, then it probably is not going to make that big of a difference at a macro level for France. So he probably has to do both. He probably has to do it. And I think there there is all those benefits there. And I think that's part of the the challenge, but also the kind of the opportunity for startup hubs around Europe, right, is to say we need to drive transformation across all sectors of the economy, but all sectors of the economy can come into this startup ecosystem, innovation ecosystem, into an innovation hub and think about the future. Like we have, for example, we have Ireland's national energy provider, ESB, downstairs, and they're creating internal startups. And they're also working Mm -hmm. externally with startups as they think about becoming relevant or maintaining their relevancy, I should say, going forward. They're doing like traceable energy with a blockchain company, for example, because data centers with tech companies, for example, they want to have that guarantee. So that's an example of how they might work together. And I think that's the opportunity, right, is of how a startup ecosystem that can feel over there to something that is actually driving central importance for all sectors of the economy. That's how this kind of startup story continues to be more and more relevant in Europe's economic vision and future. Absolutely. Let's bring it back to Ireland and Dogpatch. Tell me a little bit about Dogpatch. Why did you decide to start 
Dogpatch. I worked in a couple of different startups and tech companies, et cetera. And I've been to San Francisco and there's actually a neighborhood in San Francisco called Dogpatch, which is where the name originated from, the spirit of that neighborhood. But I really felt that Ireland or Dublin could use a kind of a hub that was driven to like right in the Docklands, like right beside Google and Facebook, et cetera. I felt yep. really strongly about that. And that's where we're based. We're like in the heart of the Dublin Docklands amongst all these big tech companies and this beautiful 200-year-old iconic Irish building. And I just started, to be honest, very simply building IKEA desks in what was an empty furniture store. I was very lucky that the two gentlemen that owned the building gave me a shot, Neville Isdale and Mervyn Green. And it started very humbly. My goal was not to build a co-working space, but to build a genuine hub that would evolve, right? With space and events and accelerators, corporate innovation, and so today, Dogpatch sits across three floors of that building. There's maybe about 500 startups and we run multiple different programs. Some people come here just to rent space and just be part of the yep. community that way. Some people will take a hundred grand investment through one of our accelerators. So, you know, every six months or so we invest in about seven or eight startups. We have about a thousand people that will go through these kind of half day masterclasses every year, for example, for startups, which are, is a different way we've. 80 startups that go through pre-accelerators. We work really closely because Ireland's ecosystem is so small. We work really closely with other hubs across the country. I think big thing for me is that it's not the biggest ecosystems that win, but a big critical success factor is ecosystem connectedness. And so one of the other things that we did was create this kind of network of startup hubs that partnered with um, friends Basically, we're starting hubs around the country and also up into Belfast as well, which now, of course, is not just north and south of Ireland, but it's actually EU, UK, which is an important connectivity point as well. So throughout the years, we've done different things that are commercial, but also things that are non-commercial, like spinning out a policy arm, just a non-profit, or there's things like Patch, for example, a youth accelerator that has just started today. So we do different things, but it, it typically focuses around space, events, corporate innovation and accelerators and programs. Very cool. I would love to come and see it, especially yeah, the iconic building. I saw some pictures of it and it does yeah. seem rather stunning. But tell me, what are you most proud of accomplishing at Dogpatch? This stuff doesn't happen alone. I'll tell you that much. So if I'm proud of anything, I'm proud of what we as a team have achieved. But also, I should say, even beyond the team, there's been so many different people that have helped build this kind of community. And I just have endless levels of gratitude. It's been a crazy seven years. And I tell you, when COVID hit, that was five years in. And I, I remember just sitting in front of the team a few months previously, and we were just about to hit that five-year mark. And so for me as a founder, I was, I'll be honest, I was, I was tired and I was like, I'm going to take a mini sabbatical every yeah. month. And they were all like, yeah. And that was, I think, November. And of course, March, then COVID just hit, right? Yeah. And for a hub where there was literally 10,000 people came through our doors the year previously. So it's everything yeah. rotates around this physical space and all of a sudden everything gets shut up. And yeah. that was a really like moment of adversity for me, for the team, for everything. And so one thing I'm really proud of for sure for us as a team is staring down the barrel of that adversity and saying, what are we going to do? And we knew we had to just do more stuff virtually online. Yeah. And we went for this huge, big tender to run this national accelerator that had been run by a different crowd for the previous year, 15 years. So it's always it's like, yeah. okay, we're we really going to overturn this thing. 
And we won this big 17 million euro contract, five-year contract. It was incredible. So we worked so incredibly hard. In a funny way, the co-working space is still only coming back, but Dogpatch's team has actually doubled in size from about 17 to 35 people since before wow. COVID. And so I'm incredibly proud of how we faced into that adversity and actually the worst thing that ever happened to Dogpatch actually ended up being the best thing that ever happened to Dogpatch because it focused us so completely on that pathway of growth. And that's definitely the war stories along the way that I'm proud of. Very inspiring, Patrick, to have your physical space be the center of everything that you do and to have that suddenly go to zero mm. and then being able to channel your energy to do something even bigger. Kudos to you and your team. Nicely you. done. This whole Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, mm. can you give me some sense of the collaboration that exists between the two? Yeah, I was just actually in Belfast only a couple of weeks ago. One of the mentors on our accelerator is David Singleton, who's the CTO of Stripe, and he's from Belfast, right? John Bradford, who set up Techstars in Europe and is the lead advisor in Dogpatch, is a Belfast guy. The guy that runs our accelerator now, Ian Brown, is another Belfast person. There's more Belfast than there is even people from anywhere else. Belfast is less than two hours north. Like it's actually quicker to get to Belfast than it is to most regional cities in Ireland. And yeah. so this brilliant opportunity. But if you ask me, are we very tightly connected from sort of an ecosystem or a governmental level perspective? There's definitely some initiatives, but I think there's so much more opportunity. And I think we're certainly going to be making much more deliberate steps now and into next year as an organization to work much more closely with some of the folks up there. Has the discussion around the legalities of that Northern Ireland agreement and the debate around some of the things that the UK want to change impacted in any way how the ecosystem in Belfast works in partnership with Ireland? It's very much a live topic, which is when Brexit happens, you've had this kind of issue of the hard border and then you have the issue of the sort of the Northern Ireland protocol. And then there's this kind of been this back and forth of saying if it exists between sort of Northern yeah. Ireland and the, the rest of the UK, that's a challenge for DUP, one political party. And then equally, we don't want a hard border because when we had a hard border in the past, it was 30 years of troubles and all that kind of stuff. So we're stuck. And that's having these knock-on consequences of a government can't be formed, a full government can't be formed between Sinn Féin and the DUP, which then has downstream effects because now new startup policies, et cetera, are, are not being created. Or when you don't have a functioning government, you can't be as effective in developing an ecosystem. It's not to say that there isn't things happening. And we've had interactions and visits with Invest and I, et cetera, for example, throughout the years. But I definitely think that the whole Brexit thing is having an impact in that way. It doesn't stop startups moving. And if you were to talk to a Northern Ireland entrepreneur, isn't receiving the same level of supports that it should be if it was in any other kind of high performing country across Europe. So, for example, it's fair to say that I think an, a startup in the Republic of Ireland or a startup in Estonia has a much more active government that's really functioning and acting for it. So I think there is impacts. Entrepreneurship knows no borders and innovation knows no borders and climate change knows no borders. We, we, we say that a lot down here and we're like, okay, what can we do despite all of this? How can we connect our ecosystems more squarely together? How can we create that ecosystem connectedness, not just into the regions of Ireland, but right across the island of Ireland? And that's something we're thinking a lot about in Dogpatch at the moment, yeah. 
Yeah. There's so much culture and history and common roots that it makes sense to have that kind of attitude towards the startup ecosystem as well mm -hmm. between both mm -hmm. the countries. The last thing I wanted to touch on for every startup, I hear over and over again, two issues. One is talent, which we talked about briefly. Yeah. And the other is funding. Tell me a little bit about how does Ireland compare or what does it have to offer for startups in the very initial pre-seed, seed day? I think in Ireland, first of all, you're starting to see unicorns being created at a faster rate than ever, which is great. And big rounds coming into Irish-based startups at that bigger level. And that's fine. And that's probably more a function yeah. of the global. Once you hit a certain level, the global venture capital Exactly. world works pretty well i think when you go earlier though it gets a bit more specific i think actually at least in my perception the seed environments has never actually probably been stronger in ireland in terms of some of the announcements mm. that have been made in the last few months alone so you've act raising money sure valley raising money elkstone are announcing funds and delta partners as well for just as an example many new partners being announced in the irish local venture capital ecosystem which has been really positive so if you're raising a seed round or maybe a pre-seed round there's definitely more capital there than there was before. And on top of that, we spent a lot of time in Dogpatch, certainly connecting in with European and US uh, venture capital houses to make sure that connectivity is really strong. And when mm -hmm. we get to come to our demo days, we do drinks and dinners and all that kind of stuff. So that's actually really positive in terms of the, the availability of capital. But what I would say the point of improvement needs to be is right at the top end of that funnel. Like we don't have the same angel investing ecosystem that exists in other parts of the world. I was mm -hmm. over in Cambridge in the UK visiting and they just have this incredible sort of your angel investment sort of environment and raising 50 grand is like relatively easy. And of course in yep. the Valley is it as well. Raising 50 grand in Ireland is actually hard. It's because we don't have the, again, we don't have the investor relief policies that they have in the UK, for example. You probably just don't have that depth of wealth or family offices, or I think there is a big opportunity to unlock that because there's so many people that have been earning in Google and Facebook, et cetera. So it's, if you're raising half a million or maybe 2 million, and you've got product and MVP and whatever, it's actually never been better in Ireland. If you're raising your first 50 grand, things could be better. And that's, look, we write 100, we write 1500 grand checks a year as part of our accelerators. And I know Enterprise Ireland is doing more around more 50 grand checks, but I'd love to see um, a better angel investing environment in Ireland. And I think that will come. And it's comforting yeah. to know that just like hundreds of millions of new seed funds or funding in seed funds has been announced in the last six months alone. So that's really positive if you're an early stage company in Europe. You know? yeah, and those unicorns, when they exit, that's going to create that cycle of people with money that want to now go into angel investing in the yeah, countries. Yeah, we're starting to see the second order effects of even in our own accelerator of a few different startups coming out of Stripe. So Stripe is double headquartered in San Francisco and Dublin. And so yeah. a good bit of engineering happening here as well. When Google came 15 years ago, you're starting to see the talents emerge from that. And more and more startups are pulling in. The person who took Google from zero to a thousand per people, et cetera, is starting to move into startups and pull all the talented people out of the FDIs because sometimes you need to wait about 10 years after these things come for that talent to feel like they've grown, they've gotten experience, they've vested out a lot of their thing. They may have jumped from one or two different big tech companies 
And now they're ready to make the shift into a startup. And we're starting to see that. And we're starting to see that come through our own accelerators as well. We're also starting to see the impact of, say, we've had two companies come through our accelerator from Intercom, which is our first unicorn. So we're starting to see that flywheel effects happen, but it's only just starting. But that makes me very optimistic about what could happen now in the next phase. The FDI thing, the big multinationals, is a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because sometimes you can lock up all the talent, but if you get the right policies, the right environment, you can actually train great talents that you can pull into startups. And I think if we can get that balance right in Ireland, we're actually going to have a bit of a, an advantage to, to work with. Absolutely. That's really exciting. And you're right. It's all about balancing those incentives. So yeah. I think it's very exciting times for Ireland. Excellent. So let me move on to the rapid fire round. I just ask a few questions just to get to know you a bit better, Patrick. And my first question typically is, what's a favorite book of yours? Any books that you've read that made an impact on you? Well, I just finished reading Ray Dalio's Changing World Order, which is very relevant about reserve currencies and yeah. nations that rise and fall. So in terms of a book about the world, probably my favorite novel, though, is a book called Midnight's Children by Salomon Rushdie. It's just a oh, beautiful yeah. novel of this Indian boy who goes through yeah. these adventures, and I've read it a few times. I, I like to... Wow, I've never heard that one mentioned. I have read that book, but I've not heard that mentioned on this podcast. It's a pretty deep and complicated novel with a lot of different angles to to what he's writing that's about. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I read it. I read it in India originally, and then I've oh. read it a few times since when I was traveling. So yeah. Oh wow! How cool. Okay. Next question. Any tip or hack or tool that you use that keeps you productive? Yeah, I'm using this app called Conjure by an Irish founder, James Welton, who set up Coder Dojo, that foundation teaches kids how to code. But this is kind of an operating system for behavioral change or habits. It's the way you see those habit apps, but this is like going at a deeper level where you can almost program stuff in. And it's really interesting. And I've been using this for the last while. And I think it's an incredible, it's an incredible app that James is building. And uh, yeah, people should check it out. I find it great. I'm definitely going to check it out. How do you spell it again? Conjure, C-O-N-J-U-R-E, Conjure. Okay, yeah, Yeah, it sounds really interesting. What's your favorite European city? Favorite Europeans? I'm just going to play the Irish card. Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no, so many different favorite cities, of course, Europe. But I'll tell you one that I'm really excited and one that sort of maybe in the past got a bit of flack in international press is Limerick. The Collison brothers have just started this new software engineering course, which I think could be the best software engineering course in Europe. And I was chatting to Stephen Kinsley, who runs that. And it's their first year this year. They're going to be pumping out like 300 engineers. The curriculum is designed by the Collison brothers and Des Trainer from Intercom and Bobby Healy, et cetera. So between wow. that and in terms of how the city itself is starting to organize itself, and I met city councillors and, and the university and people building startup hubs down there, I'm excited <laughs> to where Limerick might go. Okay, okay. And my last question is, a favorite quote that you have? Anything? So this one is one that was plastered up on this billboard as I was walking through the Docklands right in the heart of COVID. And it's a stoic quote called Amor Fati. And it means love of faith. And it really just means that you should find the meaning or the pathway within every adversity and try and just love it. Even if something bad happens, just love it and go with it. And certainly 
that was the thing ringing through my mind as Dogpatch went to zero and got yeah. closed down. It's like, how do I love what's happening here, even though it was yeah. very difficult? And I just remember walking home and seeing it on this billboard. And I was like, wow, Amor Fati, what is that? And I looked it up and it means love of faith. And it has served me well these past few years. Whatever is happening in my life, try and love it and try and find what's great about it and stick and go straight through it, basically. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the quote I think about a lot. I love that, Patrick. I'm going to make that into a post on its own. I love it. Thank you so much, Patrick, for being on my show today. I had a wonderful conversation. I'm really excited about where the Irish uh, ecosystem is and where Dog Patch is and what they're doing and what you are all doing there. And I hope to visit you someday there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Anita. And kudos to you on covering the European ecosystem in this way. I think it's pretty brilliant. And of course, you would be welcome anytime. I hope to walk you around Dogpatch and the city whenever you can find the time. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, keep building.